Welcome to Digital Guardians Podcast. Uh, my name is Will Graduate. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me today uh, across the Atlantic is Mr. Thomas Fisher. Thomas, take a moment and say hi. Hi, everybody. It's uh, Thomas back for another episode of our podcast. It's good to be back. All right. Uh, and with us today uh, is Mr. Nick Selby, a sworn Texas police detective who specializes in the investigations of cyber criminal activity, in addition to being the managing director of Secure Ideas Response Team. Nick, Thanks for joining us today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and say hi to the folks out in the audience? Hey, folks out in the audience. How are you? Awesome. So today, uh, we're very pleased to have Nick joining us today. Nick is, again, a sworn police officer detective, in fact, uh, managing director for uh, a very active incident response team that works uh, internationally, uh, an author, a prolific author, who I've had the pleasure of working with and co-authoring a book with, and uh, just an all-around wonderful guy. So, Nick, really, we're pleased to have you today. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Excellent. So today we're going to be talking about cyber criminal activity, trends within uh, the cyber criminal underground, things that we're seeing uh, being reported by uh, law enforcement agencies such as the FBI in their most recent IC3 report, and then a whole host of other things related to uh, this domain. So uh, Nick, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us what you've been up to and what you're working on and what you think is interesting and what you're seeing that, that the folks at home and the, and the listening audience might find interesting. Well, I think what I've been working on and what the FBI has been working on are different things, uh, or at least I work on a subset of what they work on. What what we've seen in, in our agency in North Central Texas, and I can speak, I think I can speak generally for, for agencies in, in North Central Texas because I uh, am in a group of more than 950 detectives in the more than 200 cities up in North Central Texas, and we share a lot of information. What what we've been seeing has been, I would say, notable increases um, in addition to things like more sophisticated skimmers um, and better better made and more thoughtfully crafted skimmers. Uh, we've also been seeing um, a lot of business email takeovers and compromises, um, and and a lot of uh, help desk fraud. That's that's kind of the. When, when somebody comes to the police and says, help, I've been ponzoored, that's really what, what they're usually complaining about. Um, there, some flavor of, um, you know, somebody's gotten into my bank account and created a wire transfer or outbound ACH of, uh, you know, X thousand dollars. Um, and I'd like to get it back, please. That, that's usually what brings them into the police. And, uh, the other thing, of course, that I work on quite a bit is um, child exploitation videos, uh, you know, child pornography investigations, and those, I would say, uh, the the rate at which they come in is fairly steady and, you know, disappointingly, distressingly high at any given time. We usually have a couple of those going at any given time. When I look at what the FBI is saying, they're kind of having what I just said, but a lot more complaints. And I think uh, what I'd love to talk about is, you know, the fact that the, the FBI is the self-proclaimed lead agency for investigating cyber. Um, they, they took that name for themselves early. They've aggressively positioned themselves with the American people as the, the lead agency. And I have been saying for years that they're it's not that they're not up to it because every individual person who works for the FBI who does this stuff is absolutely a rock star. It's that there just aren't enough of them and there's not enough money for it. 
Um, so when we look at the IC3 Internet Crime Report from 2016, we see that in last year, they received 298,728 complaints about cybercrime, reported losses more than $1.3 billion, and they opened 37 investigations. That's a pretty huge delta between <laughs> reported and investigated. And I, you know, I think that a lot of it is that when people call, they're, they're very nonspecific or they're reporting, you know, crimes that are sort of low threshold, you know, a few hundred bucks here, a couple thousand bucks there. It's not really enough to get a federal agent to come over. But also it's because they just don't have uh, the agents to, to investigate all the stuff that's being reported. And I mean, Nick, that's, that's a really interesting number. I mean, we've, uh, you know, I'm based in the UK and we have, so the UK is slightly different. It's, it's not like, it's not like the Met Police that's in charge of all of it. Um, they actually have, there's a specific division that's in charge of, of, of cybercrime. It's called, and it's been, it's been given to the National Crime Agency. So there, there is a focus group that deals with that problem. Now, each police division also has the ability to, to deal and handle cybercrime locally. But we run into the same problem here in the UK. It's, it's, there's there's a, a, a wealth of incidents, we'll call them just incidents, uh, just to be generic, but there's a wealth of incidents and they're, they're overwhelmed. And, and it's, you know, maybe they could take care of a lot more incidents, but there aren't enough people. And I think that's probably the same problem that, you know, the FBI is having, seeing the size of the US and pop versus, you know, population versus size, et cetera. Um, you, you come to a point where, where are the resources, right? And where are the resources with specialized skills? And I, I know I've, I've spoken to a lot of people and I have a few friends that are actually um, in the police force here in the UK and they do, you know, they do work on cybercrime, but their their main setback is that they don't have the resources and to get the resources, it's really hard because they don't have, they, they, they need to train them and getting people trained up uh, is actually quite tough, right? Because you need to have them put in, you need to put them into a specific set of skills, um, you you also need at some point in time they have to come from that background of computer science maybe or or incident response or forensics or some kind of they have to have some kind of background to make it easier to get them up to speed. I mean, I, I'm assuming you're seeing the same thing, right? Well, I am, and and so you know, in name and and in concept, it's it's rather similar over here. So the FBI does have a cyber division, and that cyber division is the the group that is responsible. For, the, for, for investigating. Now, other agencies at the federal law enforcement level do a fair bit of cyber investigation. So the, the Secret Service has an electronic crimes task force that's mainly tasked at this point with, with skimmers, uh, anything to do with sort of money supply, right? Because the, the Secret Service does money. That's, that's their bag. And, you know, a bunch of other agencies do little bits and pieces of, of this and that here and there now and then. There's 18,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States, and that includes a lot of, you know, the, the 50 primary state uh, law enforcement agencies, uh, all the county sheriffs, and then all the local police departments. Uh, that's a just, uh, and of course, there's tribal police as well. Um, it's a, a huge number. There's just a couple of demographic statistics about the way the way it works in America. Um, about 85% of American law enforcement agencies have 24 or fewer officers, so that thing you mentioned of getting people trained up with 800,000 cops or so in the United States, it's really difficult. The, the, the resources aren't there. And you're also right about the kind of background that's, that's needed. I don't think that people need to be super geeks, but there is 
a sort of a general proclivity towards, you know, understanding how computer systems work that you would want to get. And frankly, that's just not the recruitment base that, that law enforcement has traditionally had. Even the younger officers have some real issues with just understanding why is a fraud on eBay different from a fraud, uh, a, a more traditional fraud. And it's these conceptual issues are, are very, very tough. You know, everybody knows what it's like to get to get sold a new TV set, and when you get it home, you open up the box, and, and it's a TV screen poking through the box, and it's held up by a stick, and there's a brick in the box, right? That's like an old con. If you buy something fake on eBay, it should be the same thing, but in fact, for the investigation, it really isn't. Um, every Everything about how we start to investigate those crimes is is really different from the traditional way. I mean, if you if you look back and go to a 10,000-foot view, yeah, they look very, very similar. But when you get down into the specifics of it, it's, it's really kind of difficult. So finding people who actually have that temperament, have that ability, and have the training is, is really, really hard. And, I, and I, so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a U.K. versus U.S. problem as much as it's a, just a manpower problem. And also, look, cybercrime is it's easy. It's low risk. It's high reward. Well. Why, why wouldn't you do it if you were a criminal? Exactly. So it, it's very popular. <laughs> it's very popular with the children. Actually, I've I've got a few thought processes ran from what we were just discussing. Maybe later we'll come back to the skimmers because I ha I have some some questions around the skimmers. Um, but um, in the if we carry on in that thought process of manpower, and what if we take the problem and move it to a more of an awareness campaign and trying to get more involved with local communities and teaching them how to how to be more aware of what's going on. Um, you know, I mentioned to you earlier uh, in the pre-discussion where I was actually at, a, uh, at an IWSA meeting yesterday and we were discussed and there was a presentation by uh, one of the cyber directors for, for, the, for the mayor of London and they've been building this outreach pro uh, program called, I think it's called Digital digital london or something like that where they've actually trained up some of the re uh, local police officers uh to go out to their to their high streets to their to the local small businesses and explain them the risks of using it systems and the risks that they could be facing in terms of cybercrime what do you think of that type of concept do you think it's that's something that could actually ultimately help reduce that number of of incidents that we're, that police forces are trying to handle I, I do, and I think it's really important. I've done that. My, my department hired me, and that was the first thing that I was doing, going around to local businesses, to Chamber of Commerce, um, and talking about how to recognize different kinds of attacks, how to recognize organized retail criminals uh, who are, are using stolen credit cards, how to, how to see when something looks a little bit strange and what the risks are um, to people who are running point-of-sale systems. And a lot of times, things that we would in the information security industry think are really obvious, are really not obvious. And I think someone's got to be doing this kind of outreach and education. I think that, you know, if we look at what the PCI DSS standard actually did was that more than anything, it effectively transferred the risk of transactions over to the, the merchants themselves. And the merchants are not getting the training that that they need. So they're not able to identify problems early enough to get help. One of the most frustrating things that happens to me when I get called into something is when I get there, 
I'm told, and I guess this actually goes over to my incident response hat as well, you know, oh, yeah, I had this problem, so I wiped all the computers and started over. Um, great. So now I have no evidence and I have no way of doing any real investigation. And, and that, that's kind of, that comes down to education. Um, but I also think that the officers themselves need uh, cyber incident handling training. I know Texas really is very good at this. Texas is, is now rolling out a certified cyber crime investigation certificate. And they have, at least since 2010, been, been pushing uh, cyber incident handling, if only to make it so that the officers don't screw things up when they get onto the scene. But I'll also say that it, it doesn't really scale. When, once, we, once we gather computers, once we uh, collect digital evidence a lot, uh, our forensics capabilities are incredibly limited. Uh, it is not uncommon to wait a year uh, six months minimum to get back any kind of response from forensics on a on a device, and um, most of the sort of you know journeyman workaday garden variety cybercrime for money gets the backseat to things like child pornography. Uh, so you know it can be a long, long wait for to to get back any kind of digital evidence. So stuff we're just we're just a, a good decade behind the mainstream in how law enforcement looks at cyber incidents when compared to real life, which is crazy because if you got mugged and hit over the head and somebody took your wallet, it's not like the cops could say, oh, gosh, that's too tough. We, we don't do that. But they're doing that with cyber. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge for law enforcement, I think. And to your point, I think that uh, though uh, the FBI certainly was early on in the, in the, in the game with respect to kind of uh, claiming that title as being a, an authoritative voice, uh, with respect to cyber criminal activity, uh, the, the the breadth and depth of that of that space on a global playing field is challenging even for the most advanced law enforcement agencies. So when you start to break that down, you start to look at things on a more local scale. You can absolutely see why it is uh, problematic for local law and regional law enforcement, and then of course even at the national level. So Nick, um, you, you touched on a couple of things, right? You touched on <clears throat> the prevalence of skimmers, right? Credit card skimmers are really is, is, you know, one of the oldest scams that and low hanging fruit type of, to your point, cyber criminal actions uh, that, that one can get involved with. And it's certainly uh, prevalent. And in fact, we had one in our neighborhood at a local gas station, a BPM ago, as a matter of fact, um, just recently, and the, and the village sent out a note about it. And of course, you talked about uh, various forms of fraud, which has always, always been problematic. Uh, and then you talked about some of the more, uh, the more, the more insidious sides of cyber criminal activity which I think that most people in our in our profession probably don't understand uh, the intersection points or the or the conflation points between at scale true organized criminal entities who endeavor into cyber criminal elements or take advantage of cyber criminal TTPs in order to conduct their business, such as those who endeavor in, in uh, human exploitation and trafficking, and how those organizations at the same time are also actively involved in things like uh, broad and uh, global scale fraud. Um, botnet activity, uh, financial scams, things of that nature. Can you talk about some of those intersection points that, that you're aware of or that you've seen from your experience? And certainly we've written about some of those in the past and kind of spent hours and hours, countless hours talking about. But what, what can you share about um, how that global activity, right, and the nuances that are present and those conflation points, those intersection points uh, actually emanate and, and can have an impact on, um, you, know, you know, John Smith, in uh, in central Texas or in central Illinois or or in you know parts of the UK or wherever they may find themselves. You know, I, I 
think the most obvious one, and I, I've, I've spoken about this at some length because it just keeps happening, just like skimmers, um, just like income tax re uh, refund fraud, right? When you, when you get something good and, and you keep getting away with it and you keep making money at it, it's really kind of difficult to, to get people to switch away from that. And, and that's kind of why skimmers are still out there because they work. Uh, what I, but I think that when I explain to law enforcement administrators and city business leaders, sort of the, you know, what, what does this mean to me? I keep coming back to organized retail crime as the nexus of, of digital and, and, and the real world. Uh, organized retail crime is, it's massive in scale. Um, it is, you know, certainly, it's certainly global. It is targeting the deepest pockets there are. And it's got the advantage of being able to launder stolen money and turn it into, you know, st launder stolen digital money and turn it into actual real world goods or money as part of the process. And so, you know, if you think about groups that are looking to get into point of sale systems, to get into credit cards and, and, and steal credit cards, steal payment information, duplicate that, and then load gangs, which literally drive the U.S. interstate every single day in large rental trucks with, you know, 15 people, each of them armed with, uh, with credit cards that have been stolen, um, and, you know, reprogrammed onto anything with a magnetic strip, anything, anything that can be, can be used. And of course, you know, the chip stuff is still, is, is going to, is taking a big dent into this, but it's still out there with the, with the magnetic strip reader, uh, stripe readers going into stores and buying up as much of they, as they can of, a, of basically anything that they can. And then just going to the next mall down the road, uh, filling up the truck and then selling all that stuff somewhere. That's a really easy to understand. Uh, way of monetizing uh, stolen digital assets. And it's worth a lot of money to the bad guys, but it's also, it's a huge hit to the retailers. And and the, the strangest things, you know, get stolen. The strangest things are sought after. Things, you know, Crest whitening strips is a huge one. Tide laundry detergent, diapers, diabetic testing strips. These are all things that, that are just hugely valuable to criminals. Uh, and they'll target them in any way that they can, either just, you know, smash and grab or targeted targeted theft or buying them and, uh, you know, buying them with stolen payment stuff and then and then selling them. It, it's kind of crazy. But that that's the most obvious intersection that we see. And I guess you could say that uh, here in the States, at, at one point in time, other elements that would have been at play in a similar fashion would have been like uh, the, the illegal cigarette trade, uh, right, and uh, the subsequent... Uh, trafficking of stolen razor blades, things of that nature, like things that people wouldn't necessarily understand would be valuable on the street and that do in fact have some kind of connected connection to the cyberspace. The cyberspace. Now, what is it, you know, our friend Eric Olson has said in the past that uh, on the black market, cigarettes are worth more than gold and toner ink is worth more than platinum. Fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I believe that too. <laughs> we have similar problems in Europe where it's, we still have, there's still no, real normalization of cigarette prices so it's still cheaper to get um to get cigarettes in 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 spain than it is in the uk so you can you know, UK brexit boy <laughs> that's <laughs> not going to change it's got nothing to do with brexit <laughs> well but what is it UK customs it's still the stops. same problem it's some insane number like 30 million cigarettes a day is, yeah. is stopped yeah. by uk customs 
Yeah, and I mean it's completely independent of Bre- Brexit. It's just it's it's ridiculous. Um, let's not go that down that road because that road is a really bad one to go down. Um, to go down. Well, right, but but I mean like the other the other one that I say. Um, so I just had a case with a nonprofit um, that that was scammed in a sort of traditional cyber slash real world scam where somebody called and they had done some reconnaissance. They knew that the they knew that the director was out of the country. They called the assistant uh, or they, they sent an email to the assistant saying that they were the director, you know, with a business email compromise and uh, got the assistant to make a transfer of $25,000. Um, we have a, a woman in our city right now who uh, fell for the customer support call. And by the time the, the bad guy was done, you know, transferring money from her savings to her checking, then saying, oops, I deposited money in your checking. Can you please get me uh, cash cards from Walmart and then send me the, the numbers for them? By the time she figured it all out, she was down almost $10,000. Um, these are the kinds of things that hit everyday people. They're not aware of it until until they notice something happening. And And then there was another one, which is sort of, I think, really, this happened to us a couple of years ago. Somebody was stealing from a, a city councilman, which is why we got involved, and we tracked back a bunch of things. We found the actual people who were doing it, but one of the places that where the IP led us uh, was to some guy, you know, some 75-year-old retired guy who sat at home watching porn all day and smoking grass and minding his own business. And, you know, he was watching free porn, and he got his computer owned and turned into a little little piece of a botnet. And little did he know until six cops showed up at his door to seize his stuff that this was going on. It can be really inconvenient when law enforcement shows up and, uh, and, and does that. And I think, I think there's a lot of real-world intersections uh, where cybercrime meets the real world that are non-obvious. Um, but when they happen to you, you sure do notice, and it's a, it's a huge impact. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, we forget that aspect, right? It's ultimately – there's going to be at one point in time some kind of physical aspect. I mean, in the in the enterprise world, we tend to forget that because you mentioned the phishing case. Um, I think we see regularly, maybe once or twice a month, um, a phishing email going to one of the to one of the finance guys uh, pretending to be our CEO, asking them to make a transfer. Um, but we, you know, we're 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 security conscious. We have, you know, we have the processes in place to actually try and get around you know to to true to stop our people from doing something wrong when you're a small business or when you're alone and you know you're trying to do your business and you you're overwhelmed you you don't see that coming right you you kind of, you've kind of forgotten that there's other you there's ways to check what's going on but uh yeah i mean the physical world is the best way to get rid of that money is to you know get get into the phys- get it back into the physical world right I mean, it used to be the money laundering aspects right how do we ma- how do you how do you launder digital money essentially become physical yeah and when I, when we go to small businesses when i put my private sector hat on and, and we get calls from uh you know obviously everybody in the incident response world has been getting a lot of calls about ransomware most of them we have to turn down um and and, and the reason we have to turn them down is they're coming from the, the the people you'd expect to be victims of ransomware, which are really small businesses um, that have not invested um, in you know basic stuff like good backups and disaster recovery. And so, a a ransomware attack becomes a a truly business impacting bottom line kind of thing. And we've seen that with uh, 
you know, some companies recently, like even some larger companies, um, you know, just in the past three or four months, uh, our firm has gone into businesses that are, you know, larger than you would expect. Like we're talking global companies where they've been hit by ransomware as well in, you know, relatively unprotected uh, subsystems that they have. And a lot of the incident response has been around, oh, okay, we haven't thought about this part of our business or this process by which we do some small but crucial thing that has gone underprotected for so long. And, you know, we're, we're able to recover from it, but also we're able to get stronger. Those are the, the happy endings. Those are the ones where I think it's, it's really quite an instructive thing to have, you know, a, if you if you're any good at security, a, a relatively easy to remediate thing like like ransomware, if you're able to just say, oh, okay, well let's just let's just go to backup and restore things, and then but but really use the incident as as an opportunity to become stronger, to to beef up uh, defenses, to beef up threat intelligence, to beef up different things that you weren't thinking about, which is why you got hit. Uh, so in terms of in terms of closing thoughts, right? So uh, what's interesting to me about this conversation is that not only um, is Nick a friend and a colleague of mine for many many years and a co-author and collaborator, but Nick's a sworn law enforcement agent. He's a detective, and he sees he sees the the immediate and the gross impact of these things uh, in the lives of um, businesses and 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 individuals often. And that's something that I think that we oftentimes are estranged from, even when, even within the world of incident response, in the sense that when you're looking at it, I think from the perspective of a law enforcement officer, things are different, right? The perspective is different. The, the worldview is different, as are the tools at your disposal and, are, and uh, whether they're uh, legal tools, uh, legislation and things of that nature, or you know, mitigation tools, right? Versus what we see on, on the commercial side of things. So I think it's important to understand, you know, his perspective is one that's very much uh, from the from the from the street, which to use a kind of an interesting euphemism, maybe a police euphemism. But uh, he's got that kind of real world uh, granularity that we don't often see in our space. Uh, and I would say, I would assert to you that many people in the in the security world do not have because he, he lives in those he straddles those worlds. So that's I think an important thing to understand and then take away from this, this conversation is that what he's talking about is actual real world experience. And the manifestation of these acts, whether they're massive acts of cyber cyber criminal activity, massive fraud, or uh, human trafficking, or whether it's something as as that we might uh, tend to trivialize, like skimming, right? And say, oh, well, skimming—it's common. You know, when you go to the gas pump, you you, you wiggle the credit card uh, scan, you know, the credit card receptacle to make sure that it's actually part of the machine and not something that can easily fall off. You know, we know to do that because we're kind of trained to do that, but the average person may not ever consider that. So he sees these things, you know, from on a great and small scale, and I think that's important. I think secondly, uh, the, is the gross applicability and the actual activity, right? The, the manifestation of these things uh, in the in the everyday life of everyday individuals, almost to the point where people are desensitized, right? Thomas talked about awareness, and awareness has always been a problem, and it's hard enough in in in, in the corporate sense of of security and where that's consumed, right? When we talk to in businesses, but how do you how do you promote awareness? to uh, the world population at large, right? How do you change that? How do you change that? Or maybe how do you start that dialogue? So that's an important concept, right? Of promoting awareness uh, within cyberspace as it relates to cyber criminal activity and the prevention of exploitation and things of this nature. Uh, but then of course, I think what's even further uh, and maybe more interesting to me is the fact that 
those numbers that were derived from the IC3 report, right, uh, the FBS report, you know, the gross number of cases that they're involved with uh, or that they receive versus those that they actually open up and actually take action on. What does that tell us about our ability to contend with these threats on a national level, right? Um, is this a war of attrition? Is this, is this, are these period victories? Where, where do these things stand? So guys, why don't you take a moment to kind of digest that, give your final thoughts, and then we'll wrap it up. I, I know that when I say this stuff about, about this report and I, and I say, you know, 37 investigations out of almost 300,000 complaints, I'm not, I'm not saying that the FBI is shirking its responsibility. I'm really not. Um, I, I do think that, that we're resource constrained. I also think that a lot of people complain about things that are, you know, not really actionable. But, but somewhere, somewhere the number is still off and somewhere it, it's indicative of, and I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a war of attrition, but I did. I, I wrote an article in the Washington Post about this and I said, you know, Cops, because we're not that good at this anyway, and cops, there's one thing about cops. They don't like not being sure about what to do next. And with cyber, cops really don't know what to do next. Uh, we just don't have the training. And so if we have a, an excuse, if we have a reason to say, oh, I don't have to work on that, then we're going to take it. And cyber is the it's the poster child for this because the FBI has stood up and said, hey, we're the lead cyber agency. So as soon as it has a computer in it, I, I have an excuse ready-made. Oh, that's cyber. you got to call the FBI. Uh, and this is intensely frustrating for anybody who is a victim. It's intensely frustrating for anybody who, who wants to investigate this stuff. Um, and it's intensely frustrating if, if you see that cybercrime is growing at the rate that it's growing and, and want to slow it down, especially because, and I guess this is my last thought, I think in, in the, the arms race, you know, new tools, new, new threat intelligence, new services, new ways of looking at stuff out there. It is a, a really sad fact that the low-hanging fruit is still really basic stuff. And th that basic stuff really does have a lot of destruction in its wake. A lot of financial damage is done by people using very, very simple tools. You know, on incident response, we always say if, you, you know, if you're being attacked by a nation state, they will never send out the A team if the D team can get the job done. And unfortunately, in the United States, no one needs to send out the A team or the B team because we're really not that good at this. So I think overall, education and, and improving our defensive posture is super important. I think educating the public about the dangers that they face from really basic threats should take priority right now, uh, at least until we get a baseline of training on, on both the, the citizen side and the law enforcement side. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Nick. Um, I, I'd add that it's the same just about in every country that I've been to lately, and the the police forces are, are overwhelmed by this situation, and they'd like to do something, they'd like to help the public, but at the end of the day, it, it is a problem with uh, with resources, manpower, and just the volume of the sheer volume of things. Um, you know, we're we're seeing this we're seeing this in, uh, intensely in Europe. I've been in discussions with people, especially in the UK, where we're just we're talking. It's like, how do you deal with this, with the uh, with the overwhelming outcome? I mean, we, you know, we're talking about data protection as well. When we're talking about data protection in the UK, we have a specialized organization called the ICO, which takes care of all complaints against uh, data theft. And they, they can get hundreds of incidents a day and they just don't know what to do with them because some of them are simp as simple as, oh, well, my data appeared on a website versus somewhere it's a lot more serious where uh, a whole bunch of medical records were stolen from a computer in, in a, in a uh, doctor's office. And I agree with you. Awareness seems to be a thing. There's a lot of people doing awareness nowadays. I invite 
you know, I, I, if I if I were to call, is that we should be reaching out to organizations, uh, you know, some of the some of the community organizations that work in infosec to help build that awareness campaign. Um, that that might be one way of taking, you know, uh, like the volunteer aspect, getting people in our community to help the police forces to go out and talk to small businesses to get them aware and to do things better or to to be able to handle to a certain level their own protect protection against these cyber crimes right? that that could be an important part of how we can progress uh you know because the the problem is bigger than we can handle it right now right we can train as many people as we want but you know we, we just we're, we're we're fighting an uphill battle right we, we're just there's so much going on and there's so many so many attacks when it you know as you said it from ransomware all the way up to uh, to skimmers um, and you know skimmers are changing generations as well now we're seeing you know sm- very very small businesses like the shoe shine guy at the on the corner who takes credit card payments because he has an iphone and a, and a and he can take credit card payments via his iphone i mean the, the whole landscape is changing faster than we can deal with it and faster than most police uh, you know most uh, national crime agencies can actually take care of, of complaints uh, so that that would be my wrap up to this session. It was really great. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And and actually, you guys have GDPR coming, and I think that, that might help with some of the some of the education. Um, and you know, as you say about the the one thing I wanted to mention about skimmers when I was talking about organized retail crime, you know, large gangs doing skimmers. The the tactics have now changed with you know actually very well orchestrated groups that you know have people with with specific roles these people are distractions and these people are installers and these people are maintainers it it really has come generational uh it's not it's not your dad's skimmer <laughs> <laughs> and with that thanks again for joining us on episode number nine of the digital guardian podcast and with us today again was our our illustrious guest mr nick selby our next episode will be coming on a couple of weeks Episode number 10, late July, and it will feature Dr. Jessica Barker of uh, the United Kingdom. And we'll be talking about, I believe, social engineering and some of the uh, psychological and sociological aspects of profiling and uh, threat actor characterization. Thomas, thanks very much. I know it's getting late on your side of the world. Uh, thanks again no for being a part it's of good this. To be here. Yeah, absolutely. To everyone listening, thank you for your time. Uh, we do appreciate it. And uh, do send us your feedback. Have a good uh, weekend and uh, safe travels. Thanks, everyone.